Welcome to the Fuck It Moments podcast. I'm Claire Freeman. So I record this introduction on Mother's Day. It's a day where women will be celebrated and loved across the world. But what if you're not one of them? What if you're nearing the end of your 30s and your biological clock is ticking and you're thinking, will I ever be a mum? There are ways around this, of course, and today we consider one of those, adoption. See, when Bethan turned 40, she hadn't met Mr Wright, but she knew she wanted a family. And so she began the process of finding out how it could happen on her own as a single adopter. We started our chat with the obvious question, simply by asking why. Fostering possibly has always been at the back of my mind. My parents were foster parents, so that's always been part of my experience, um, yeah, certainly as a child growing up. And when I was married, I yeah, had hoped that um, you know, potentially I would, would have a baby of my own. That never actually happened. So once I was um, divorced and on my own again and and thinking, you know, what is important in life, I suppose I was looking for a, some sort of uh, change, knew that I would do something that would, you know, change how my life was at that particular time. And so my thought at that, first of all, was, um, well, okay, I'll give up work and I'll foster because at least then, you know, hopefully I can financially... Um, support myself and and do fostering and do something that I really enjoy you know looking after children and um, it wasn't until I suppose there was this niggling doubt at the back of my mind I actually went to a foster agency who who first of all rejected me and said you know you need to have a bit more time after your divorce to sort of process you know your own life really which was fair enough and and they said wait for a year and nearly a year to the day, I went straight back to them and said, right, okay, you know, ready now, here I am. And um, we did all the interviews. And then they said to me, right, okay, we'll tell you when your training is. And in my head, you know, I had sort of a six to nine month time frame, So I was quite, you know, happily just chugging along. And then I got a phone call saying, right, you know, you're on training next week or something. And and I think at that point, I was like, uh, am I really ready for this? Is this really what I want? And... It was at that point that I thought, I actually have to rule out adoption first before I feel I can take a fostering route. Um, Partly because, you know, adoption's always been there in my mind as well. So it's like, you know, go on, just try and find these out. So I went to an information evening about adoption. Um, I was the only single person there, so it felt a bit daunting to walk into all these sort of very professional couples all looking to adopt and just me sat there on my own thinking, I'm not sure I even want to do this anyway. And um, I listened to everything that was being said and suddenly sort of, you know, just sort of doubts began to appear in my mind as, you know, was fostering the right route? So I went to speak to a very experienced social worker who was there and that day and that evening and just said to her, look, I'm not really sure I'm in the right place, to be honest, because I'm thinking about long-term fostering and, you know, this is all about adoption. And she just looked me in the eye and she said, um, so do you want to look after children or do you want to be a mum? And I just stood there like I was a bit dumbstruck and I went, well, I want to be a mum. And she went, well, adoption's the route then, isn't it? And, and it was just like, 
yeah, the penny dropped. Um, that, you know, I actually could have children that would be mine rather than, you know, looking after children, which would, is, you know, there's lots of similarities, but actually they would be mine. They would call me mum. And I think it was the wanting to be called mum that really then made me say, wow, yes, I think this is the route I need to go down. So tell me, what was what was your life like before you adopted mm. then? What was the Bethan without children? <laughs> the Bethan without children was very um, busy, um, very uh, out every evening, not necessarily clubbing, but very, you know, sociable. Um, I'd, you know, if anybody said, do you want, you know, to do whatever, I'd be there at the drop of a hat. I didn't really have any plans or schedules in the evening. You know, so if someone said there's a pub quiz on tonight, I'd be like, yeah, I'm there. Um, or, you know, do you want to come around for tea? I'd be there. I didn't have anything holding me back, um, stopping me from doing those things that I wanted. I could go away for weekends to visit friends. Um, I travelled. I enjoyed travelling. Um, yeah, Bethan was just out there all the time. <laughs> In people's faces all the time. <laughs> yes, there are... Um... There are different stages in a woman's life, aren't mm. there, where it's quite normal to feel different things. I mean, yeah. I, when yeah. I turned 30, there was a real deep sense within me about what I deemed success and what I yeah. deemed failure. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really was hard upon myself was that I hadn't, you know, met Mr. Right. Yeah. I hadn't got the children. I hadn't got a mm. mortgage. I, mm. At that stage, I didn't even have a car. Yeah. Um, and in that kind of bricks and mortar sense, I didn't feel like I was complete. Mm. Um, then I suppose that you kind of hit the mid thirties and you feel a little bit more comfortable with life and you think, okay, I'm just riding this out. Mm. Um, but when you turn 40, mm-hmm. I haven't reached that bit yet. Yeah. <laughs> was there something different that happened with you? You mentioned a yeah. breakdown of a relationship as well. Yeah. Well, I think, yes. Yeah, so by, I can't remember what age I was. Uh, I was probably about 41, 42 um, when I was finally divorced. And for the few years before that, I'd been quite busy looking after my stepchildren. So it wasn't like um, life hadn't been different before then. It had been. But that sense of, of loss, really, you know, I really lost that um, role with my, with my stepchildren. I was still involved with them but nothing like on that day-to-day basis. And suddenly it was a bit about taking stock and thinking, you know, this this could be forever. This could just be me on my own forever. And I don't think I'm ready for that yet. And, you know, yes, I might meet Mr. Wonderful tomorrow. Not quite sure how I would, but, you know, <laughs> I might meet Mr. Wonderful tomorrow. But even if I did, there's no guarantee, particularly at the age I was, that I would, you know, would have children with him. Um, and as I'd never, you know, managed to conceive whilst I was married, then you know, the, the idea that it po- was a possibility probably wasn't even there anyway. So it, there was this sense of what, yeah, who am I? What, where do I fit in the world? Particularly with, you know, most of my friends, um, you know, partnered up with children and going through all the bits with children. It was suddenly you don't really have that network particularly in your 40s I think in your 30s maybe more so you have a lot of other friends who are probably in the same situation once you get into your 40s it's not quite so many and so yes that Bethan who was out you know meeting up with people all the time it was mostly people who were already in partnerships it wasn't out with a gaggle of you know 40 something single women 
and um, you do start to feel like, you know, is there, I don't know, where do I fit into the world, really? Mm. But it comes back to the idea of what do you deem successful, doesn't it? Yeah. The I mean, ideas and what you bring to the mm. table. I mean, in many ways, you know, sort of, I have lived my life a little bit back to front. So I've managed, you know, probably later than some people, but, you know, I've bought a house, got a car, got a job, you know, you know that there's, there's the sort of material side of life. And I've never hankered for, you know, like luxurious living or anything like that. I, you know, the sort of that, you know, the mundane bits at the bottom of the ladder of, you know, having somewhere to live, something to, you know, that all was fitting into place, really. Um, but, you know, being able to do the next, you know, the bits that other people were doing and maybe they were struggling more with, you know, having the house, the mortgage, the you know, the cars and all the rest of it, but had the children, <laughs> and I suppose, sort of lived my life a little bit backwards. So, um, you know, that bit was fine. That bit was sorted. Um, and I suppose to a certain extent, it then made me think, well, I do have at least had the stability now to offer something to some children. Um, you know, maybe if I wasn't in that situation, it would have been a different, you know, different sort of scenario. But because I had managed to get that bit sorted, that seemed, um, yeah, that bit had been surmounted. So now it was the next, <laughs> the next bit, really. You were ready. I was ready, definitely, yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because I do find that a big subject um, for women in their 30s right now. Mm. You know, you talk about egg freezing. Mm, mm. Um, more people are open about fertility problems mm-hmm. as well with IVF struggles. Yeah. Um, but there is also a sense that for people who are in my situation, mm. that there is a door open which has been paved by people such as yourself mm. and other kind of out there people who've who've already formed that path for us to follow, really. Mm. When you first had this kind of moment of yeah I do I want to be a mum but you weren't part of a couple Mm. what was that like back then um it's actually quite interesting because um there was somebody at work actually who was a single adopter and I suppose that then made me realize that it was a possibility um but also because I'm a bit single-minded, so once I set my mind to something, I didn't sort of see that it could be an obstacle. Really, I would have never have known. <laughs> and it was a bit like, well, you know, here I am, <laughs> take me or leave me, type of thing. So it's a bit like, um, yeah. So I don't think I approached an adoption agency thinking that they might turn around and say, well, no, you're single, we can't do, you know, you're, you're not for us. I suppose I just went in a little bit blasé, saying, well, here I am, you know, mm. why would you not want me? <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, so I think it was the fact, the knowledge that I knew somebody else who had done it um, made me realise that, you know, practically it was possible. And I think something of my own sort of doggedness and determination that made me think, well, of course it's possible. Mm. Um, who who could stop me? <laughs> did, did you face anybody that doubted you um, or tried to put you off? Yes, a couple of, well, I mean, I think my mum was a little bit worried um, uh, considering that she'd done lots of fostering, I think she was just, a, you know, maybe she was thinking, well, wait a minute, you might meet somebody or whatever. I'm not really sure what, what her hit her was or whether I, you know, whether it would be too much um, as a single person, you know, to, to take on children. And, you know, she, she herself knows that, you know, children who need to be adopted are not the not necessarily the easiest of children. So she maybe from that point of view was a bit concerned. And then... 
another person who was an adopter actually who who not had a particularly positive experience of adopting um was very much you know like why why are you doing this mm. um but i do think you have to make your mind up for yourself and i mean i then went on to there's lots of um forums you know um whatever you call them forums online forums where um for adopters and so um yeah, discovered there was a section for for single adopters, so started reading through what people were writing there as well, and realizing that, you know, it is possible. Mm. Um, not necessarily that it's easy, but it's definitely a possible thing to do. There's always that sense, isn't there, when um, you can have a big idea, can't you? You can have that light bulb moment. Mm. You think, yeah, I'm going to do this. This is a great idea, mm. but then time kind of drags on, and there's a few barriers in place, and you've got to wait to do this, and you've got to wait to be ready for this. What time frame were you looking at from that yeah. moment where you decided you wanted to be a mum? It was it was quite interesting actually because after I'd sort of had that you know penny dropping moment of well yes go for it, I think I then relatively quickly um, requested a visit. Um, from the social workers and you know, to, to see if I could start off on the process and I'd already booked a holiday to go to Canada for three weeks so I spent quite a lot of time in Canada just talking it through with people or thinking it through um, so that I was sort of really ready by the time they came to visit me I think you know, I, I felt that I was ready to, to go forward with the process. But then, of course, they tell you, well, that's all well and good, but it can take some time. And I don't think at that at that stage I was quite naive about all the sort of time scale. So um, they said to me at that stage, I think that was sort of May time. It would have been 2011, I think. Um, they sort of said, well, what happens next is if we agree to put you onto the process, um, you have to wait to go on your training and that could take at least six to nine months before you even go on the training. And even at that stage, there's no guarantee you go forward. You know, that that's the next step. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I sort of put tucked it away a little bit of, well, that I got a letter to say I had been accepted onto the process. So I sort of knew that it was going to happen or at least the next bit was going to happen. But at that point, I'd in my head, I was thinking, well, I'm not going to go on training until at least January the following year. So just put it to the back of your mind. Don't, you know, there's nothing tangible at the moment. So that's what I did until not that long afterwards, I got a letter saying um, your training's booked for September, which did put me into a bit of a spin because, you it's know. less than six months. Yeah, definitely <laughs> less than six months. And also like, oh my goodness, you know, I think all the things that had worried me about being a single adopter about, you know, will I be able to financially manage it? What will happen with work, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, I was a bit taken aback that it happened that quickly. I didn't think I had to be thinking about those things quite so soon. Um, So it was the September time, I think, I went on the training. And again, I was the only single person on the training um what do they do what is training the training is well it's it's when i say training it's really an awareness session it's really telling you yeah the nuts and bolts of adoption you know first of all just the very practical you know this is the stages you have to go through to get to the stage of 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 having children but also the stages that the children have gone through as well so this is some of the legal stuff as well Mm. and also some of the um 
you know what you might come up against you know that sort of in many ways trying to take off your rose-colored spectacles and be really realistic because it isn't for the faint-hearted it isn't all about you know little blonde-haired blue-eyed babies that um you know moms have relinquished you know readily it's nothing like that and it's actually saying you know children come in all shapes and sizes come with all needs you know how would you cope in such and such a situation who have you got around you that can support you um you know how are you going to manage financially all of those real nuts and bolts issues really um i mean it was four days of training and i'm <laughs> i think it's a bit like childbirth you put behind you the things that you don't want to <laughs> yeah. you got past that bit i don't want to remember it now um but yes it was it was quite intensive and it did really make you stop and think is this for me you know and they we also had people who came in to talk who had adopted people who came in to talk who had been adopted um we looked at the profiles of children who needed adoption to give us a bit of an idea of of you know what might be out there um and what we were letting ourselves in for really but it was also a good way of meeting other people in the same boat and you know meeting people going down the same route as you and i made a couple of friends you know through that through that process as well this it's an interesting concept isn't it that for fostering for adopting there is a gatekeeper as to whether you will be a good parent Mm. but for the normal couples so to speak that step is removed that must be quite difficult Mm. to put yourself out there and wait for yourself to be judged really are you good enough are you ready enough to be a parent it's quite a scary concept it is I mean the whole thing is quite scary really when when I look back on it it actually is quite a sort of and particularly as a single person you know going through it's quite isolating as well I mean Mm. much as my friends and family were supportive um you know you can't talk about it all the time because they're just going to go shut up yeah Yeah. Yeah, you've not got another track you talk about something (laughs) else um and trying to sort of work out in your head how would I cope with this how would I cope with that and it is. I mean, it, I know people who've who've not gone forward with the process because they've gone like, I'm not having that, you know, invasion into my privacy, into my life. And, and or people who started down that route and realised that actually, particularly as couples, that they're on totally different pages and, it, you know, it isn't going to be helpful for them to go forward. I think, I mean, in some ways, the ease of being a single adopter or, you know, going through that process as a single person was that it was only me that I had to deal with and confront. Yeah. I didn't have to think, you know, how would how would my partner parent them? How would I do it differently? You know, it's all about, you know, how I would do it. Um, yes, I mean, it is, you know, that all the processes you go through and the whole assessment process, which sort of happens um, after, well, in my case, happened after the training. Yeah, the assessment process is incredibly thorough, um, as it should be. You know, they are looking for the right, person or people to look after children who've been through a lot in their lives and what type of things are they looking at i mean are they going through your bank statement speaking to your boss there is yeah a bit of everything there's so there's the there's the practical stuff is doing a crb or whatever a criminal records check um yes they want to know about your finances i don't think they go through your bank statements with a fine tooth comb but they really want to know how will you manage this financially and particularly as a single adopter because they do expect you to give up work for at least a year when the children move in. So, you know, how are you financially going to manage that? Um, They look at your house to check that it's, you know, got the right space available, that 
it's safe enough. So you know, if your house has got the ceiling falling down, they might sort of say, well, come back again when the ceiling's fixed or something like that. You know, mm. so looking at things like that. Um, so those are the sort of practical sides. You also have a medical check as well because they want to check that, you know, you're healthy enough to to take a child that while have had a lot of disruption in their lives what they don't want is somebody who's um not going to be around for that child after a couple of years that's a bit morbid but you know they, they're, yeah. they're looking into that as yeah. well um and then they're exploring you as a person what makes you tick um you know what what was your own childhood like um how did your parents parent you um what would you do differently as we all would when you were not going to do it the same as my mom and dad you know, mm, yeah. we all know better obviously and um but also you know who who's out there to support you they have i think they take three references and they actually meet with the people who are giving you references and yeah. they you know put them through the mill as well in like terms of you know what stability has uh, have they got and what experience have they got so again for me it was looking at what experience i had with children um uh, yeah some of it does feel a bit like a sort of psychoanalysis really you know mm. you're they're really trying to really talk to me that's what are your values imagine if they mm. did this mm. for ordinary couples who were conceiving <laughs> it would be mad wouldn't it it would <laughs> yeah it really would yeah it would and i think you know i mean you know i'm sure some couples do have lots of conversations about you know what they want for their children in the future but it's 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 very thorough and it's things like, um, I, I, what? how would you feel if your children didn't have the same values as you? So like for me, I'm a Christian and it's like, you know, I, I said, you know, obviously I do give my children the freedom or would give my children the freedom to think about what they wanted in life. But initially they will be coming to church with me because that's what I do. That's part of what makes me at me. And um, obviously they have an option later on in life but initially that's the shaping that I would be giving them um, they talk about how would you handle things later in life you know if your children started rebelling against you or saying um, you know you're not my mum you're not my real mum you can't make me all the things that could happen um, how you would feel um getting the resources and support for the children that you had how confident you feel doing that um how you think your family and you know, they'd fit in with your family and friends there's also a really interesting stage which actually was probably one of the most difficult stages where they actually give you a list literally a list would you accept children with these conditions really and it was a it was a quite a telling moment so it's things like um, a child who's um, was born with um, alcohol fetal fetal alcohol syndrome, mm -hmm. um, a child who's autistic, a child who's disabled, child who has yeah, cerebral palsy, child who's Down syndrome. Child, you know, wow! And you can go through and say yes to that can, one, yes, no to this one. Yeah, and it's quite and and you know when you when it when you just say it, it sounds really harsh, but it did really make me stop and think. Um, because, you know, I was adopting as a single person. I had to properly think, what could I cope with and what couldn't I? And what benefit would that be to the child? You know, so I had to be really realistic with myself. And the thing that surprised me the most about myself was I said, I didn't feel that I'd be able to have a child with Down syndrome. 
I have a brother and sister with Down syndrome. I have lots of friends who have Down syndrome. It's not that I didn't don't like Down syndrome people. And in fact, I would love to have had a child with Down syndrome. But mm. I know from my experience, the children with Down syndrome that thrive the best are the ones who are in a big, busy family. Yeah. And I'm not offering a big, busy family. Well, <laughs> probably do, but, but you know, <laughs> there was just me. And I just felt that that would be too intense for that child um it wouldn't give them what they needed and therefore I wouldn't be the right person to give them a family and it you know it hurt me to say that because it felt like I was rejecting you know lots of people that I know but I in my heart of hearts I knew that it would be better for them to be in a family where there was brothers and sisters of a similar age and you know maybe a mum and a dad mm-hmm. and and I had to sort of say no to that but I suppose the other side of it was that I had also from the beginning being quite clear that I wanted two children that I was happy to take a sibling group mm-hmm. and um how detailed can you be in selecting yeah. I want a boy and a yeah. girl this age <laughs> this color this background yeah, I yeah. mean you because you mentioned about mm, the list yes yeah. I mean that's incredible because mm. there can be this concept mm. of mm. when when uh, a mother conceives naturally mm. you take whatever child arrives with adoption and certain Mm. kind of scientific examples is there a way where you can almost (laughs) sculpt your perfect baby um well you said they're not the blue eyes yeah no uh, they're not i mean i suppose it's about what you're i mean they also then talk about uh, what age children are you willing to take are you willing to take a sibling group are you you know the, the complexities because many children who come into care and and are free for adoption you know they might be coming to be adopted on their own but actually there's other siblings out there would you be willing to keep in touch with their families how would you you know there's sort of lots of variables Mm. that maybe if you had your own child you wouldn't have to stop and think how am I going to do all this so yes there is an element where you have a bit of choice so I mean I said I was more than happy I would I prefer to take a sibling group I would probably prefer to take boys was what I first um said and um I would be happy to take slightly older children. I wasn't particularly, um, what's the word? I wasn't particularly keen on the idea of having a baby, partly because as a single person, I thought I just know that's um, going to, A, probably difficult for them to, to match me, but also I'd never had that real desire to have my own baby. It was more to be a mom. Mm. And, and so that, that sort of sense of it needs to be a baby didn't really, or even a toddler, didn't really occur to me. I felt like a child over the age of three mm. probably would better suit what I had to offer. Um, so that was sort of my first starter for 10. <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it sounds like there's, there's mm. lots of very practical senses mm. about that. Yeah. Emotionally, it must have been mm. like a roller coaster. You've got this vision, yeah. you've made this big decision, mm. and it's pretty much just a one track, isn't it? You just, it? You're rolling down that hill with no brakes. It really is a roller coaster. It really is that. Fi- and also the, just the complete unknown. So I actually got approved in May 2012. Um, so that had been like nearly 12 months from when I'd made my first inquiry. And so I'd had all my assessment and it goes to something called an approval panel. And at that stage they said, yes, we approve you for, they said for one or two children. So they didn't um, they didn't say, yes, you can definitely have two children. They said, you know, one or two. Um, between the ages of three and five, I think they said for me. And um, 
at that stage it's like great bring it on you know what's what's going to happen and then it's really hard because it then gets to the stage or for me personally my social worker left at that point so I had to you know get to go and know a new foster a new social worker who didn't quite get me in the same way as the previous one had so it was a bit more tricky trying to sort of you know explain to her why I wanted two children why I wanted etc that age group and then then you start being given information about different children and reading through their histories and their information and by doing that you do become emotionally attached you start imagining could that child be my child how you know it's it's really quite daunting and um for me in fact interestingly enough the first profile i was given was of the children i now have mm-hmm. at that point my social worker said you know, I think you were looking for slightly younger children, weren't you? You don't have to go with the first ones that come along. And and practically I went, yeah, I think you're right. Let's just see. You know, it doesn't have to be a rush decision. Let's just sort of see how it goes. Mm. Um, so nothing came of that at the time. Um, then it, it, will, it is a lot a matter of waiting. You know, you can go weeks between before your social worker phones you up again and says, I'd like you to look at this. Um, profile of these children and it, yes you're very much you know I am going to be a mum I know I'm going to be a mum I don't know when I don't know what age for so you know go to the shops and I start looking at you know do I need a push chair you know and like you know people were very kindly donating me their cast off chairs and high yeah. chairs and things and I was going well okay I'll keep them just in case you know it's sort of like your but whole concept it, yeah. of seeing a, a, a woman walk down the road mm. with children mm. must have started to just, you know, change then and prick you up. You do. You just start, you, well, I think, yeah, you do. You're just like, could that be me? Could thy child look like that? Um, you know, it, it's really weird. And also, I think that not knowing. So, of course, I have friends with children, but it wasn't knowing which ones would have similar age children to mine or... It, yeah, it's not like, I suppose, being a brand new mum with a new baby and you all go along to a group and you've all got the same... You've just been through the same experience of giving birth and having new babies. There is that element of, I don't really fit in anywhere at this moment in time. Mm. Um, and it took... I mean, to be fair, it then that was the May I was approved and it wasn't until the December I was matched with my two... And it, there was quite a roller coaster in between that time. My my brother died, my adopted brother died um, in the July, um, which obviously was a was a huge huge um, shock and upset to me. And obviously, I wasn't in a frame of mind. It wasn't fair, you know, at that stage to then keep progressing with the process. So I had to take a little bit of time out. And then also, um, I had got the profile of two boys that I'd asked for, um, of the right age range that I'd asked for, and I was looking at them and finding out a bit more about them. And my social worker was quite, you know, sort of positive and saying, well, I think, you know, these, these guys would be perfect for you. And the more I read, the more I was unsure, um, because I didn't think I could be able to meet their needs, or at least of one of them. And... The social worker said, well, okay, you know, I don't see the, the blocks that you're thinking, but, you know, we are having more review and there'll be more up-to-date information about them in a, in a few weeks. Let's leave it till then, which is what we did. 
and she came back with the information and I just said I can't meet their needs That's I seriously know incredibly yeah. difficult mm. it it still makes me cry now <laughs> I think about those children now and it still makes me upset mm. because I felt like I was failing them yeah and I wasn't I think I was waiting for them to have the right people to be, you know, to be their parent, and yeah. um, but you're seeing their faces. Yeah, you're see, reading their stories. I really was, and, and you go back mm, to that story day mm, after day. Yeah, and it's not quite. I mean, the role of the mm. social worker. It's mm. not quite like, um, you know, all these dating TV shows or something <laughs> no. where they're playing the matchmaker. Mm. This is something a little bit more. This is really serious stuff, and and it was very interesting because after that, um, a couple of you know, profiles came my way and for whatever reason I wasn't deemed suitable or whatever. And then um, my social worker said, there's an event coming up. And to this day, I still can't remember what the events are called. I call them a fresher's fair, but they're not quite that. <laughs> but it's an event where all the 22 um, adoption agencies in the Northwest come together. And it is a little bit like a fresher's fair. So basically each of the authorities have got their own uh, table with their social workers there with profiles of children who are looking for families and people like myself who've been approved then come along and it enables you to look at the profiles of the children and to ask more about them because social workers who knows them is there so when I arrived um and also my yeah your as the, the adopters details are available as well mm. so when I arrived um Stockport, who I'd gone through, the social worker said, oh, we've had a couple of queries about you, so come and meet these particular social workers. So that's what I did. And then spent sort of the rest of the day a little bit browsing. <laughs> it's awful, doesn't it? Browsing, having a think. And I saw the photographs of the two boys I'd said I couldn't meet the needs of. Oh. And and I broke down. I was just saying to their social worker, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And um, what was it, because they were still available? I think so. I think it was just I felt like I'd let them down. And, you know, I hadn't in any way, but it was really hard. Oh. And, um, I mean, their social worker was lovely. And he said, you know what, your children could be here in this room, oh. you know. And we will find the right people for them. Don't you worry about it. But mm. that was hard. And I guess yeah. even now, I know you're upset. Mm. You must wonder wonder where they are. Yes, I mean, I have absolutely no idea. And I'm sure they have found a lovely family. And Because uh, boys yeah. over the age of five, mm. it is, you know, the facts say mm. that they are very rarely adopted yeah i mean that that there was that element i mean you know boys particularly sibling groups boys over the age of five and uh, mixed race children as well or children from a different ethnic background um do find it the hardest to find families mm. um and of course you know every very young child that comes up for adoption there's probably lots of people <laughs> saying we want this child mm. Um, but for the sibling groups and the older children, you know, there's not quite so many people, um, you know, looking specifically for them. Yeah. And it was really interesting because it wasn't till the afternoon that I um, I went up to, I was, went past the stand in Oldham, the Oldham stand, and I looked and, and my two children, you know, the children I've got now, um, jumped out at me because I'd seen their photo before. Yeah. And I was like, oh, gosh, you know, they're still looking for a family. That seems you know I can't believe they still are because they're you know they look gorgeous mm. and um so I started chatting to the social worker who was there and she goes 
I remember you, you know, you, you're a short start manager, aren't you? And I'm like, oh, yes, yes. And she's like, oh, yeah. And I said, oh, I can't believe they're still looking for family. She said, oh, yes, they are. And we got chatting. And by the end of the conversation, I think I was more or less <laughs> taking the, taking their picture down, going, it's all right, folks, nothing here, death to see. <laughs> you're sorted. <laughs> But what an incredible mm. day for you too. Yeah. You could have you could have seen those two children mm. thought felt mm. incredibly guilty mm. and walked out the door mm. and you might have gone a completely yeah. different Absolutely. path. Absolutely. But you yeah. pulled your, your crap together yeah, yeah. and powered on through to after lunchtime to go through in the afternoon. I did. And I mean it was I mean, having said that, I mean that was like the beginning of November and um you know, it doesn't the I came away obviously with their profile but also two or three others so spoke to my social worker the next day and said you know could you please pursue this these for me these are the mm. children that I think I might be interested in and um you to see what the what this yeah because obviously there's no foregone conclusion at that stage mm. so she went away and did a bit of you know talking to their social workers and finding out and you know a couple of them they probably said well actually we found other people who we think are more suitable or you know we don't want a single adopter for them or you know those, those sort of things and um then came back and said we'd like to link you with these two um and the social worker wants to come out and meet you and have a bit more of a conversation with you so that happened and the social worker i'd met on the day was actually their family their link social worker um, or, or no family placement I can't remember there's lots of different types of social work but <laughs> she was the one who was family finding for them yes she also brought with her the social worker who knew the family very well I think had possibly been social worker to birth mother as well so had known the family for a very long time yeah she was sort of um, due to retire so it's sort of a bit of a swan song for her to to know that she'd finally got these children placed yeah um, so she came along as well and I think she was probably far more um, not skeptical but you know concerned would it be right for them to be with a single adopter yeah um, whereas the other social worker I felt you know I, I immediately we'd sort of gelled and just knew that you know she'd be on my side if you like yeah and that was okay I sort of came out of that thinking oh you know this is all really positive and so in my head they were my children at that point really um, that uh, yeah at my, at my point they were they were my children and it was all going to go ahead and then I can't remember exactly at which point it was but it might have been at that point yes I think it was at that point they as they stood up to go the social worker said well thank you very much and um, we are considering another family and uh, we'll let you know <laughs> <gasps> and I think my whole world sort of fell apart at that point. I was like, no, how dare they? I mean, that's like buying a house. <laughs> I know, it was. It was really hard. Who can one. put the best offer in I know, it something. was a little bit. And so I remember writing emails that week. I was like, you know, going, um, you know, I've done this and I've done that and this is why I would be best for them. You know, I was like <laughs> a bit like, <laughs> like this haranguing emails going, how dare you consider anybody else because I can offer all of this. Yeah. And um, really put myself out there. Should they say um, that? I don't know whether it's right that they should um, say that. Actually. I, th- I suppose they have to be realistic. I mean, what they, yeah. yeah, what they can't do is go away making me think, yes, it's all a done deal. If it isn't, you know, they, they have to do their job properly mm. and they have to make sure that they find the right person for these, you know, for these children. So I sort of accept that, but yes, it was a bit of a devastating moment. And um, of course, we've got a recap here that you just yeah. had a bit of a, mm. a, a, you know, a real hard, tough moment at yeah. the conference. Yeah, your brother's passed away. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it was, it was feeling tough. a little bit like, you know, emotionally, it was quite a tough time. 
and um, and then I sort of knew when they were you know talking to the other people as well and so I had an idea of when I could find out a bit more so I was phoning my social worker on nearly a daily basis going come on what's the news what's the news yeah and uh, and I think their social worker was in court all that week so didn't have time you know to do any of the niceties and I don't know I can't remember if it was one week or two before I actually got a phone call and I was I, rem- I vividly remember this phone call I was in the middle of work picked up the phone and they just said you're matched with these children and I just oh. broke down in tears and um I just went I'm gonna be a mum <laughs> and everyone at work just like gave me a big hug and it was surreal it was a really surreal moment of it really is gonna happen oh. um yeah and then you know, everything and, changed. Uh, well, then it all just takes a lot of time. Nothing, re- well, it, you know, after that, it still took a lot of time. So that was the beginning of December, I think. And the children, I didn't actually meet the children till March um, because of all the sort of bureaucracy and all the all the other end of things that had to happen uh, that weren't really to do with me, but were more to do with, um, you know, sort of sorting out the legal side for them and everything. Mm. Um, I'd met their foster carer, and um, so she told me a bit more about them, brought me a few photographs, so that was really nice. So what information did you have at this point? Yes. So you haven't met them. <laughs> nope, not You've at You've got all. these two little chirpy faces, because yeah. they have got lovely chirpy faces. <laughs> they have, they? and you're not really meant to tell anybody, you're not meant to, you know, show their photograph to anybody. I think I did take a sneaky photograph down to my mum's at Christmas. Yeah. And I said, keep it to yourself, but these are your new grandchildren <laughs> and she was obviously very excited but couldn't tell anybody or show anybody the photos and I knew I knew about a bit about their background about why they'd come into care um how they'd been since they come into care um why the decision had been made for them to be adopted so I knew you know I knew that sort of bit but I didn't really know that I didn't know them really other than these so know, it's a boy faces. and a girl a, a brother and, and a sister how old were they um so um the girl was just about to turn five and the boy was six and a half yeah and we're not just to recap we're not naming them because it's it's a complicated situation of how they've come to be adopted yeah i mean i'd rather yeah rather not give them their their names and yes so they were older than i'd been looking for i you know i had sort of been looking for children maybe age three four so it was slightly older um they're mixed race and and so again that was i'm sure the social workers had thought about whether this was you know right for them as well um and and the need was for them to stay together um they did have another sibling who um was in foster care not with the same foster carers and um yeah, so so they weren't looking for her to be adopted with them, but they were mm. looking for somebody who would be willing to main some, maintain some contact with her. Did you get a sense of mm. whether this was going to be a difficult placement mm. and what you might be up against in that first year? Um, yeah, I mean, when I, I mean, it was really interesting because the whole process is like I'd put together a book about me, all about me, um, and I'm mommy, <laughs> and this is who you're going to meet. Well, it and, sounds like there was plenty in it. Yeah. <laughs> And then there was also like I got books about them and information about them and a little bit more in terms of photos. But actually, you and I think some people find this really strange because, particularly for me, because it was quite a long period of time between knowing 
that they were going to be coming to live with me between actually, me actually meeting them. Mm. I think people sort of assumed that I'd, you know, gone and met them or they come and stayed for a weekend or something. And no, you know, literally. It's like an arranged marriage. It is. And I remember one person saying to me, you like, you know, you mean you don't get to meet them before you make a decision? You know, and it's like, well, you didn't get to meet yours before you made a decision, did you? And they were like, well, no, fair that's enough. Ex- <laughs> exactly. Would you want to give them you know, that? That's right. <laughs> Um, so the way it sort of formally happens is um, you go to a, uh, I can't remember, there's lots of meetings, there's always meetings, but there was like a panel that said, right, yes, this is this is literally going to go ahead. And from that, I t- so I took adoption leave from work, so I literally left work on the Friday and was going to meet them on the Monday. And um, they put together like a timetable. So, so the timetable for me, I think it was about a 10 day of how you're going to slowly get to know the children. So for me, the first day was going to where they live and, and just meeting them and you know being there for a half an hour to an hour. Um, and then the next day was, um, I think I went to, the, they were still at school, they were leaving school the next day. So um, you're in ready for coming to me. So I went to the school with the um, foster carer to meet them. And, and took them out for the day. You know, so there's like very slowly stages. You, you stages and you something. The first day, the day when I had to go to where they lived and literally I was at the meeting with the, with the, with the social worker and the foster carer. And uh, the foster carer and the social worker took off back to the house and I was told, you know, come in half an hour or whatever. Um, my mind, I don't know where my mind was and I got lost and I was just whizzing around. I was like, do you know what, Bethan, you can, you can just go. Just, you don't, just don't turn up. It'll be fine. You'll be like, you know... <laughs> Not that you'll be fine, but it was scary. It was so scary to go and meet these children who were going to be mine. And, you know, would they like me? Would What would happen? And, and it was really scary. And I walked up the stairs to, towards the house and there was a little boy in the window waving at me um, and a dog <laughs> looking at me. And um, and a little, you know, as I came in the door, this little boy went, hi, mommy. <laughs> it was like, oh, Did my goodness. Did he really? Yeah, and it was really, that was just like a life-changing moment. And then um, the little girl, she she was ill. She was very ill. She had like a chest and throat infection, and she had no voice. So this little squeaky voice. It's like, hello, mommy. <laughs> and, um, but the little boy, sort of having said the hello, mommy, then took off to the other side of the room and just sort of watched me from a distance. And... A little girl climbed on my lap, trumped on me, and I thought, there we go, match made in heaven. <laughs> We're speaking the same language here. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I got sort of cuddles from her, and then yeah, the foster carer sort of encouraged them to show me their bedrooms and show me their toys. So it was, you know, it's very, very introductory stuff that day. And then as the week goes on, you get to know them more, they get to see you more. They come visit you in your own home and you show them the bedrooms you made for them. And slowly but surely, I started bringing some of their belongings back to my house. So when they came here, they had some of their own things here already. Um, and then the day comes when it's moving in day and it's very quick and quick and to the point, really. You, you literally go and pick them up and take them home. Um, that's it. <laughs> and then it all changes. <laughs> because it was it was hard those first six months were incredibly hard of um you know I was with two children who didn't know me particularly well I didn't know them particularly well 
um you know what do they like to eat what do they how when do they sleep when do they all the things they were getting up really early in the morning and I'm not a morning person so that was like you know so by nine o'clock in the morning I'd you know <laughs> exhausted everything I knew of what to do with children <laughs> but you had escaped the baby period I had escaped the it. baby period so although having said that the children you know a baby might not have asked so many questions <laughs> and then um and it was also it was quite a it was really cold it was in March it was really cold and of course it was still term time so they they'd been agreed to be out of school for a couple of weeks before you know to before the end of term so that was for us to get to know each other and then it was the Easter holidays so there was a good sort of six to seven week period when it was just me and them and for the first two weeks no other children were off either so we were going into really empty parks in the freezing cold just to sort of get out of the house. And um, it was very, you know, it was quite isolating because you're also encouraged not to um, meet up with too many people and confuse the children at that stage. Mm. So it really was sort of me and them um, for, you know, for quite long periods of time. And it was very tiring for all of us. Um, the days were long. Um you know what tv programs do they like to watch what games do they like to play um you know what else can we do <laughs> you know i mean there were things we could do you know we went off and visited museums and things like that but you know it's 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 like having an extended school holiday but um you know quite quite an intense one mm. were the tough times it was it was it was actually really quite a you know i would say that was probably one of the most isolating times and particularly because i was someone who you know after work i'd go out and meet with people so actually to not be meeting with people was quite hard and you know to be sat downstairs on my own once they were in bed at six o'clock because we were all knackered by then they were in bed fast asleep i'm sat downstairs on my own the house has never been so clean and tidy as it was at that point because (laughs) all i could do was (laughs) tidy up clean up (laughs) things that i never normally do and um you know just sit there on my own and and that was quite hard um so until we sort of moved forward a few weeks when we could start having visitors to the house and and things like that it was it was quite a lonely time actually and and unnatural it was quite unnatural from what I was used to um but you know we we did if eventually slowly but surely a couple of people would come round and meet the children or and what was that know. like Cause, I mean you've got to introduce them to to yeah. well it's their family yes. now isn't it yeah. and and also to your friends and yeah. to your life really mm. and they've got to integrate yeah it's a slow but sure process really um my family came up or my mum came up um probably maybe about three weeks in and then unbeknown to me my sister and my nieces both were coming up as well so they hadn't told me that bit so that came as a bit of a surprise but to be fair my children are very adaptable not all adopted children would be able to cope with you know not knowing who was going to be there or when um mine were very adaptable and just accepted whoever came through the door really Mm. um and I'm, i'm very fortunate and i think you know that's why it was a good match was because i am a very people person very sociable person and these children were able to adapt um and so actually you know we did start going you know they came to church with me we went off to various things and you know they started school a few weeks later so again that was much you know made it much less isolating they got to know people I knew people already at the school so 
reintroducing to people but you just slowly slowly do it over time Mm. um and you know i mean when i think back to it now those were quite you know quite difficult times but at the time you just deal with it but it was it was um you know it was life had changed you know i wasn't going to work i didn't have anything that you know made me me really i was just their mom <laughs> and i was used to being bethan you know <laughs> all things to all people when suddenly i was i was just their mom just their mom but you know that was you know like the uh, rest of my identity had been stripped away yeah um and you know being their mom wasn't something i was used to so you know even if they were calling me mummy i'm like who oh sorry me right okay a <laughs> couple of moments like that you know and they're calling mummy for ages and you're just sat there in a little world and then it's like oh sorry <laughs> wasn't, re- wasn't responding they didn't call me mummy they called me mummy mummy <laughs> a little older accents <laughs> and um you're just sort of getting to know them and and my son he certainly was the more wary of me and the more withdrawn and he certainly wasn't going to give me an easy ride he was going to check me out he was going to test me and he was going to see whether this was for keeps um and actually you know that's fine that you know actually if he hadn't done that I'd have been worried um and he was nearly seven you know that's you know that's a long time in your life to not be with this person who suddenly you're calling mommy and they say they're going to be your forever mom they say they're going to look after you and not reject you and not make you move again Mm. you know I'm going to I'm going to check that one out um and he did you know he really did and there was one moment where you talked about them taking your name didn't you yes the the legalities and changing the name becoming a family yeah so very much so we you know so I mean in technical terms um, within, I think after they've lived with you for twelve weeks, but then because the first, well, when they first come to live with you, they're not legally yours, um, so you can't change the name, you can't um, sign, well, there's certain things you can't do um, legally. Although a lot of lot of your sort of parental control is handed over to you by social services, but still they're technically the ward of ward of court, ward of social services. So you're like a guardian, not a yeah, parent. like a guardian, not a parent. So. You're even going to the doctors, um, you're having to explain who they are, how they happen to be with you, um, they haven't got the same name as you, yeah, that type of thing. Um, you know, at school they couldn't be called by their by my name, they had to be called by their birth name. So there's a lot of things that take a while. So it isn't until you apply to the court and have had approval from the court that um that they legally become yours. And that took quite a long time because I mean, part of my brain cells had just de- you know, just gone. So filling in a form, it was really, really difficult, <laughs> and um, just all that paperwork. It took me two or three attempts to get it right. Just like my brain was just mashed by then. And then also there was for for my little boy, particularly, he was really not for changing his name, his surname. That is not his first name. I wouldn't have done that. But actually, the whole um, thinking it through, he was really reluctant and resistant to that. Um, my little girl, not so much, but certainly my little boy. And it took me a while of talking to him and just drip, drip, drip feeding and saying, oh, do you remember so-and-so? But by then, I think we started going to an adoption group. Or we'd met up with other adopters. Oh, look, so-and-so, they, they've gone to court with their mummy and daddy today and they've taken on... Uh, t- <laughs> taken on their new you know their new mummy and daddy's name isn't that exciting and just having that you know drip drip of conversation and um I then said to him well 
you know, I'm going to send these papers to the court now. And they said to me, what, what name does he want? And I said, I know that you really, you know, are reluctant to, to give up your name. And I totally understand that. Um, I said, but one thing I would like to do is give you a name that's very special to me um, as a middle name, because he didn't have a middle name. I said, I'd really like to give you a middle name. And I said, my brother, who you never got to meet, was very special to me, and his name's very precious, and I would love to give you that name um, as one of your names. And he's like, yeah, okay. And I said, but I know that your surname is, is very precious to you, and I don't want to take that away from you because I know it's something that's important to you. So I think, what about if we put your birth surname as one of your middle names alongside the one that I'm giving you, and that then we all become uh, my surname at the end. And he went, okay. And it was really interesting because once we'd sort of had that negotiation and he knew that I was respecting him. Yeah. Now, and I think that's obviously something that's more typical of an older child. I think a younger child would be more accepting of the, of, of the whole name change thing and, and maybe less aware of it. But I felt for him, he just had to feel in control of that situation. Yeah. And, and he was fine from that moment on. Um, um, my daughter, um, I gave her an option of a middle name. She already had one middle name, so I said, I'd like to give you another one. And uh, the option I gave her, she went, no, thank you. <laughs> I went, okay, and, uh, have you got a better idea? And she went, yes, I want your name. So she took my, my name as one of her middle names, <laughs> um, which wasn't an option I'd given her and hadn't even thought of. So it was very touching um, to have that. So she was quite thrilled with that. So yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. So let's mm. fast forwards to now. Mm. I'm, I'm sat in your dining room <laughs> and there's a football in the corner. There's a piano <laughs> or keyboard behind us. What else have we got here? There's, there's My Little Ponies everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yes, My Little Ponies have <laughs> taken over the games. world. <laughs> you've, yeah. just, you've, just shared, you've just shared a big birthday as well. I have, yes. Did you get your happy ending? Is there such thing? I think I've got... Yeah, I've got my family... We are a forever family, and there's no doubt about that. Um, happy endings? Who knows? You know, what is a happy ending? I mean, what I've got is is a family that works for us. Um, that you know, we're, we're a little team. Um, we're not going anywhere soon. This is us, and it's not going to change as far as I'm concerned ever. Um, just you know, whatever happens to us, whatever happens in the future. I will always be their mum. Yes, there might be less My Little Pony around in the future. You never know, to be fair, that might not happen. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I mean, I just feel really comfortable with us being a family now. It feels like it hasn't ever been any different. Um, And I do think, you know, it goes through processes. That first year, you're doing the first of everything together first you know the, of their birthdays first of my birthdays first christmas first holiday together first school day together for you know all of those things are all firsts and it does feel it jars you know each time it's like well we've never done this before how do we deal with this so by the second year it feels a little bit more comfortable you know we've done this before haven't we we've been on holiday before we know what to you know so there's a little bit of that and now we're nearly five years in and yeah it's just as it is there isn't that feeling of we're you know and if we're trying something new together it's because we're trying something new together not because it's the first time we've ever done it it's yeah that's what we're doing as a family and yeah so I have had a big birthday 
um, as my daughter keep telling her to tell everyone I'm 29, but <laughs> she has got, does take after me, have a rather big mouth, and uh, has been telling everybody that mummy has the big 5 and um and what was really lovely was, you know, they I had a party, had a celebration of which they came to part of it. And it was important for me also to to be able to celebrate with my friends as me as well, <laughs> and not just as mom. And I think it worked perfectly that, you know, they came, they met everybody, um, you know, enjoyed talking to everybody. But, you know, when they left, they didn't kick up a fuss. They knew that I was going to have a bit of my time. And apparently... Um, my son said to the friend who brought them home I'm really really pleased that my mum's having a party with all her friends and she's my best friend I was like oh that is so sweet <laughs> not quite sure what he was after but you know <laughs> it's very I mean I think really nice that he recognised that I did need to have that you know time to be me as well um, I think, and I think they're less demanding now of me as mummy you know they're not sort of trying to confirm it all the time you know they know I'm mummy and and oh they're mom mom now I'm not mummy <laughs> um and um they know that now and and they're very very secure with that um and you know and that a lot of people give me feedback and say you know, they can see the big difference in them as well which is really nice um because obviously when you're in it 24 7 you just accept it as it is but people say I can see how you're all are much more relaxed around each other and yeah, my daughter, everyone just thinks she's the, the, the image of me, not necessarily looks-wise, although we share some similarities, just in her behaviour and her personality. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, the, in, And she has got a real cheeky, chirpy personality, very sociable, um, very funny, um, and, and very sociable. You know, and I think, again, you know, there is that whole thing of of who I am rubs off on them. And I do sometimes think, you know, how would they have turned out if they weren't with me? You know, what <laughs> what would they be like? And who knows? I don't know, do I? And <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. They do sort of reflect me in them very much. You know, with the way that they see life, I think now, and the way they reflect on life. You know, so yeah. So we've recapped on one of the biggest mm. fuck it moments of your <laughs> life. Would you ever take it back? Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> um, uh, never I mean I just I can't imagine life without them now it's you know it, it was a roller coaster I certainly didn't know when that fucking moment came that this was exactly how it's all going to pan out but I suppose it's just taking it and going with the ride and and yeah no uh, yeah it's amazing I'm, I love being their mum <laughs> The Fucking Moments podcast is brought to you by the consultancy ASFB Productions and it's hosted by me, Claire Freeman and the music is from Thomas Ragsdale If you've got a story to share then email us finpod at gmail.com or you can find us in all the usual places on social media hashtag finpod <laughs>